Hello, hello, God bless you beautiful people. This is Reverend Carrie Holmes with a word to encourage you to carry on as we look at the topic of dismantling, dismantling racism in the church and particularly overcoming the principality of racism in the church and when it operates like a principality and knowing when we're seeing that. And um, I wanna encourage you to tag someone, um, like and share if you would. I want to encourage you to invite someone I always uh, wish that I could see the comments as they're coming up, but I quite, haven't quite figured that out um, when it's uh, set up in this uh, in this metric. So um, type me some comments, like and share. I can see the people that come on, so I can say hi to you and God bless you. Please, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just dive right in. You know, I do a lot of seminars. Um, both engaging in them and sharing them. And I'm always impressed when I'm engaged in them, <laughs> when people share their thought or their nugget um, at the very beginning. So let me give you some awesome scriptures because some of the things that we're going to touch on are, um, are I guess, I guess want to say controversial issues or, or things that are, are, you know, current for us today. But when we look at the power of the scripture, and I'll just start right there, that the Bible says the word of God, the way it describes itself, the what, what the Holy Spirit said about the word of God that he was leaving us is that it would be quick. It would be a living agent, like a living organism, a living entity, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you, Holy Ghost, that it is in, enough to divide asunder, to split between joint and marrow, and that it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Um, I feel like as I'm quoting that, I'm missing something. That it is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder soul and spirit. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Soul and spirit. Uh, what you feel and what you think and what you feel and what the Spirit of God is saying, joint and marrow, and that it discerns the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And certainly at this time, more than ever, we need the Holy Spirit's power of the Word of God to help us understand what it is that we think and feel. And this is something that I saw today, even as I was looking through the scriptures. And I'm so excited to share it with you, but let's let's just begin with a word of prayer. And sometimes I like to sing because I really believe that is also something that welcomes in the Holy Spirit of God. Um, but this is something that I wanna share with you um, just over the next uh, you know time that we have together um, to encourage you to look at what the word of God says about social justice, about ethnicity, and about race. If you don't hear anything that I say, if you vote differently than you think that I vote, or if you disagree with some of the posts that I have, I implore you as a person of faith, as a woman of faith, as a man of faith, to look at what the scripture has to say. And I would love for you each as my friends and family on Facebook to comment back to me the perspectives that you see in the word of God, right? Because all of our, our perspectives are not going to be the same. Remember, the Bible tells us even as prophetic at the prophetic level, right? Even in the prophetic realm, we prophesy in part, we understand in part. So there is not a one size fits all, you know, all encompassing perspective other than the word of God. But I would, I would challenge you to say, 
that even if you have a different ideology or thought or um, conclusion than I, if you look at the word of God, you are going to see when God talks about ethnicity, first of all, that he talks about it, that he addresses it from Genesis to Revelation. So we're not out here somewhere in La La Land with secular voices speaking to things that God never talked about. No, the only reason, and I, 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 I will um, encourage you to make this a keynote in our discussion, that the only reason some of the things we're seeing and hearing from the media and from the secular entity, when I say secular, I don't mean that it's bad, I just mean that it's not theologically you know, Christian or um, it's not based on theology or the Bible. When I say secular, I just mean other than um, theology, other than the Bible, other than biblical basis, which the Bible tells us that we're in the world, we're in a secular place, but we're not um, of a secular place, right? Our information, our inspiration, our revelation, and our transformation comes from the Word of God. So, God bless you, each and every one of you that are signing on. I can see the little circles popping up. I see Hollis. I see a real cute person with glasses, but I can't tell who that is. Love you, love you, love you, love you, love you so much. And um, I want to just uh, pray and then look at the scripture. But I'm so glad that we can share that right just for any of you who may be able to sign on and then sign off. I think if you send me a message, I might be able to see it. But um, if I can say anything before I say anything, the foundation, the core, the everything, the word of God is everything. God is everything. And he said Jesus was the word made flesh, right? So I just cannot emphasize that enough because we may prophesy in part, understand in part, come to different conclusions or applications, having the same information. But if we use the word of God as our compass, we're more likely going to have our ideas, our thoughts, and even our spirits will be at one with one another and, and dovetail, right? Um, so let me encourage you with that. Look at the word of God. Don't take my word for it. This is my perspective and that the Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit has given me an anointed perspective about overcoming uh, the principality of racism in the church, that it is there, that it is present, and how to dismantle it, and how to exemplify God. But let me encourage you, if this is your grace point, you may see and hear something in the Word of God that I haven't seen or heard. But when the Word of God is our, is our information source, I mean, literally look up the word ethnicity. Literally look up the Greek word ethnos. Literally look up the word nations. Literally look up the word justice and see what God has to say. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate and make his uh, voice and his truth more real to us than anything today. Amen. So Father God, we do humbly bow our hearts to ask you that your words and the entrance of your word, like David said, would bring light. Um, shine on our lives, shine on our day, shine on our discussion, shine in the midst of the chaos and the midst of the confusion, shine even in our disunity, shine in our churches, shine on our leadership, Lord. And wherever the light is shining, if there's something there, Lord God, like the saints of old used to pray, if, there, if you see anything there that shouldn't be, take it out, Lord and straighten me. God, whatever it is inside of me or the friends that are watching or in our churches that does not please you, God, and whatever the root of it is, Lord God, take it out. Wash us clean. Make us more like you. Let the light of God shine through our lives, in our voices, in what we say, in how we vote, in how we treat one another, in how we administer the ministry. Uh, of the church and the ministry of reconciliation. Have your way in us. We yield and we say yes. 
And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking today. Let the blood of Jesus be our atonement and our covering. And we receive and accept that. And Lord, I pray that even someone watching, um, if they have not come into full assurance of knowing that they will spend eternity with you, that you are uh, in control of their life and leading them and guiding them all of their days, I pray that something that's said today, God, something that's prayed and something that's sung would move on their heart so that the light of salvation, the greatest light of all mankind, would bring them into a full knowledge of who you are. In Jesus' name, we pray this for your glory. Amen and amen. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. Since I'm clearing my throat, <clears throat> I'll clear my throat to sing a song. And then we're going to get right into dismantling racism in the church. We're going to look at how this principality operates by the um, principles, the biblical principles of what destroyed or, or, or tried to um, dismantle the church in regards to any spiritual application, and then particularly race. So we're going to look at Acts 6. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> we're going to look at um, several different scriptures where the church is involved, where um, Jesus spoke to Peter and said, upon this rock, I will build the church. And then we're going to look at the life of Peter so we can understand some things about dismantling, dismantling the principality of racism in the church and overcoming. Amen. Hi to everyone. Thank you so much for signing on. I see Zena there. God bless you so much. Um, quick plug, my, my girl Zena, <clears throat> a strong believer in Easton, her parents are pastors there, the Goodwin family. She is launching a poet slam, a poetry slam for um, Poets for Black Lives. And that is going to be on Saturday, August 1st from 12 noon to 2 p.m. We'll be making the official announcement and I'm just getting behind her and encouraging her. But I'm making this plug now because I'm seeing her sign on and it's reminding me that we want to partner with anyone between Allentown, Bethlehem and Easton. Um, to help her hold that at the amphitheater on that Saturday and, and, and have poets and creatives come together um, to share their voices for racial justice and equity and equality. And there is an immediate need for insurance coverage. And the mayor's office and uh, the uh, Office of Parks and Recreation, thanks to them, they've replied to her and they're in support of it. So I, we know it's going to be that God's hand is on it. And it's going to be open to, again, secular and Christian voices and creatives uh, from many different backgrounds. And you're going to see more about it. But if you're watching this and you know that you can be of help, of support to her to make sure that she has that insurance coverage. We're going to probably be wrapping that up today, and then you'll see the uh, advertisements roll out. <coughs> Excuse me, I had to just get a good cough in there. So, I thought that the song um, that I would sing today, because of the way that the Lord gave me this scripture, it was kind of funny to me, because I was trying to think of like a song that's really steeped in uh, black culture and African-American culture to really lift that up. But the, this song kept coming to me from the scripture that I read. It is not a song from black culture at all, but you'll probably remember it as a beautiful worship song. I could sing of your love forever. And we're going to look at this awesome scripture that um, the Holy Spirit just illuminated in my life today. Um, Over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me. So I will open up my heart and let the hearing I'm happy to be in the truth. And I will daily lift my hands and I will ever sing of when your love came down. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. 
could sing of your love forever over the mountains and the sea your river runs with love for me so i will open up my heart and let the healer set me free i'm happy to be in the truth and i will daily lift my hands and i will ever sing of when your love came down i could sing of your love forever 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 now that song was in my spirit when i read this scripture and i'm so excited to read it to you as it pertains hallelujah bless your name lord as it pertains to dismantling dismantling racism in the church Psalm 101 verse 1, I will sing of loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. This is where we're going to make our home today. And we're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about that aspect of entertainment and worship and look at one of the particular ways that racism in the church must be dismantled. And Psalm 101 really, really captures the heart of God as it pertains to these things. I will sing of loving kindness and justice. Here's the first point that I want to share with you outside of the word of God being foundational and encouraging you to seek out the word of God for justice, racial equality, what God has to say about nations and what he has to say in his word about his divine plan. The first thing that you'll see in the scriptures, I'm sure, is that justice and mercy, justice and righteousness is always coupled together in the scripture. Whenever Jesus and whenever God in the Old Testament spoke of justice, whenever he spoke to the children of Israel and his servants and his chosen people about ensuring that they did not defraud the foreigner or the stranger, he always spoke to them of justice with righteousness. So let me say, the Holy Spirit is oppressed upon my heart. You may receive something, you know, in, in, in that knowledge, but the Holy Spirit is oppressed upon my heart that it is not a secular notion. I've heard a lot of people saying, well, how can you, you know, align yourself with Black Lives Matter? It's a secular voice. The reason why it is even being, their voice is even being heard is not because the media has contrived, and I'm not saying that they haven't, but justice is a God idea. It's a God thought. It is a God thing. Justice flows from him. And every time he speaks of justice in his word, he talks about justice and righteousness, which lets us know this is our part. It is our voice that needs to be lifted. It is us, the church, right, that needs to speak up. The Bible says that the prophets are called to cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression. Why did he say that? He said, because they act like they delight in knowing me. How do they do that? Because they always draw near. They're always gathering. Haven't we seen in these last couple of months that everyone that has a church wants their church to be open, right? They, I've seen post after post for those that are clearly supporting uh, president number 45. I stand with him to open the churches. But the Bible says it's not just coming. 
It's not in the coming that pleases me. It's coming with the right heart. So you've got your brothers and sisters that you're sitting right next to worshiping. They're in pain. The Bible says mourn with those who mourn. There's no post. There's no speaking. There's no voice. There is no trumpet for the pain and for the pandemic of death that is happening through police brutality, through racism, through systemic um uh, disenfranchisement, right? So these are young children that you'll go and you'll feed them at the food bank, but you won't address as a person of God or as a pastor, as a leader, as his church, that justice and righteousness is from God and goes hand in hand. And that the reason that those families are in poverty that your church is serving is not God's justice. It is not his will. It is not his desire that those things remain that way. Because remember, Jesus himself gave the example of the unjust judge. And this is where it is so, uh, this is something that lies at the feet of the church. The Bible says Jesus gave an example of the unjust judge. And he says, this woman who cried for justice to an unjust judge day and night made that unjust judge say, you know what? Because this woman's going to weary me out and wear me out by coming to me constantly, right? It's better that I just go ahead and give her what it is that she's asking for before she just wears me out constantly, right? By her constant coming. The scripture then says, Jesus said, how will not then your father who is just hear the cries of those who are oppressed and deliver them? Because he is just, he will hear a cry, he will. Listen, if you haven't heard the cry, that is the crime of the modern day church. That is the unrighteousness of the modern day church that we have not heard the cry. And I'm talking specifically right now to my white brothers and sisters. So hear me when I say that God said even an unjust judge, right? Even an unjust judge in that parallel, in that parable will hear the cry, right? This also relates back to Exodus chapter 7 and the early pages of Exodus where God said, not even that the children of Israel cried to him, but because they sighed so greatly under the oppression of the Egyptians that he said, I have to go down and see about it. So where is your heart that you can hear all of this in the secular media and secular voices and the church is silent? Since May, when the news of the end of May, was that Memorial Day weekend when the news of Mr. George Floyd death and his murder came onto the national scene. Whatever it is that you may think about it, how could you not hear the cry? God said that he would come and he would delineate exactly what was being said and he would determine what exactly was transpiring when he heard the cry. But many of us, we block our ears. We, we, we block our ears. And I'm again, I'm, I'm, I'm imploring and compelling my, my white brothers and sisters, my Caucasian brothers and sisters in the faith to take your hands off of your ears. If it means nothing to you, something is wrong because African Americans by and large, many people of faith are in a great deal of pain are in a great deal of distress and looking for an answer. We should be able to have a group within the Lehigh Valley and within the church that is as 
palpable, as poignant, as strategized, and as notable as the secular voice of Black Lives Matter. But where are we? Where are we? God said to Abel, or said to Cain, when he killed his, bro his brother Abel, the voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground, right? We know that there is no life. And this is beyond statistics of how many black people died and at the hands of police, one life, one bloodstream, one, one aborted DNA cried out to God from the ground. And he came because of the cry of that blood, because of the injustice, the unjust slaying of that person, their blood being spilled in the ground. He said, the blood of your brother Abel cries out to me. God is not deaf to the pain of even one person being unjustly killed. Now we want to apply in our social structure, right? In our thought, whether or not they lived a good life, were they a Christian person? Um, did they ever commit any crimes? Were they running from the police? The, the unjust killing and the blood shed of any human being, regardless of their race or their color, God is gonna come see about it. And if we ignore it, shame on us. So my first point is, Hearing that cry, because God hears that cry, um, that really being coupled with the fact that justice and righteousness are always married together. So we understand from the gate that God is the one who's given us. It is God himself who has given us to stand in this place of righteousness and to lift up our voices. Now, the scripture also goes on to say from Psalm 101, I'll read it one more time because it's so precious. I will sing of loving kindness and justice. The two go hand in hand. It's a God thing. The earth is full, sorry, uh, of his unfailing love. That's another verse. It says, to you, O Lord, I will sing praise. So this is our service to him. You may be helping me. You may be standing with me. You may be marching with me. But the fact of the matter is that you are partnering with God when you address racism. Now, I know it happens all the time. The prophet that addresses the problem is seen as the problem. I'm going to say that one more time for the prophetic people that are watching so you can gird up your loins in truth and understand people are going to have something to say to you. They're not going to understand. People are going to argue with you and come into your inbox and tell you that you should be ordained. You shouldn't have a church. That how dare you? You're causing division. The Bible shows you clearly from Genesis to Revelation in Jesus' life as our greatest example itself. The prophet that addresses the problem is often accused as the problem. But because the power of prophecy addresses and dismantles things, remember Elijah, he says uh, when he met uh, Ahab, he says, oh, so you the one who troubles Israel? He says, I'm not the one who troubles Israel because um, Ahab found him rather. And Ahab says to him, oh, you who troubles Israel, because the prophet had said, there's going to be no rain. You're going to have a famine until you set your house in order and line up with God. So the king sees him. He recognizes the prophetic power that, that Elijah has to call things to a halt or to open up the heavens again. He says, you troubled Israel. You're causing me problems. You're making it bad for my people. And the prophet said to him in prophetic power, which is what we need in these days, I'm not the one who troubles Israel. I've said something from the decree of God that addresses and annihilates this, this unrighteousness that you've set up in your house that is, that is being... Um, 
you know, going throughout the land and is being made an example of for all of the rest of Israel to be um, pulled into idolatry. He says, but it's you who troubles Israel because of your sin and because you've let the prophets of Baal, you've let a secular and satanic system speak and be the head rather than lifting up a righteous standard from the house of God. Now, I am not um, giving a judgment in this recording. We may do it later, but I'm not giving a judgment in this recording about those secular voices, but in an understanding that the secular voices should not be louder on any issue that the word of God addresses than the voice of faith. So it's up to us to speak up. And maybe from, maybe from this, I want to invite those of you who are people of faith that want to have something, um, a conglomerate or some type of, you know, community network for us here in the Lehigh Valley of faith to address racism in the church and in our community and dismantle that thing. Let's, let's talk and pray about coming together in that regard, because we've seen youth, we've seen, um, politicians, we've seen every entity and every organization coming together to address this. And by and large, the greatest thing that the church has done, and thank God for it, is have a discussion. But really, as far as us being out in the street, and I'm not talking about performative where it's just to make someone come out and them to look good, but I'm talking about actual petitions, ways of dismantling, and thank God for every level and everything that everyone has done. In my heart, I'm thankful. In my mind, my spiritual mind knows that there are some people that may be doing it just for their own purposes and their own reason. But my heart, my heart is grateful for those that have done anything because especially people of faith and anyone anywhere throughout the community, um, whether in faith or secular that has done something about this because God would say something about it. But what to God, we as the people of God were the voices that were lifted up. I will sing of loving kindness and justice. The two go hand in hand. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. God always hears the cry of the oppressed. And from Genesis to Revelation, let's just look at some of these scriptures. I want to give you some New Testament scriptures. Matthew 23, 23 says, Woe to you. This is Jesus railing on the teachers of the law. Pharisees. He says, you're hypocrites. He, he said it, not me. I didn't say it. He said it. You give a tenth of your spices your mint, your dill, your cumin, right? You do all of the religious things that um, you ought to do, but you have neglected. Hear the word of the Lord in this. You have neglected the more important matters of the law. The scripture says those more important matters, Matthew 23, 23, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Falling out with someone on Facebook because of what they posted or what they said that addresses this issue. And again, I'm really engaging with my white brothers and my and sisters or my Latino brothers and sisters. Falling out with people, treating them funny on your praise and worship team, making them feel funny at church. You can't speak to them because of what they put on their Facebook page. The Bible says you're doing all of this to open your church doors. Hello, church. You've neglected the more important matters of the law. Now, first of all, that's telling us right there a scriptural key that the more important matters of the law outside of tithe and offering and coming and worshiping on a regular basis, that's a tithe of our time, right? Separate and apart from that, the more important matters of the law is justice, it's mercy and faithfulness. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. If you can just repeat that, justice, mercy, and faithfulness is more important than the 
church doors being open. It's more important that we do this. Now, he said you should have practiced the latter. Practice justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That means in your everyday life. Not just what you get up and say on Sunday and not just a post that you made on Monday, but practice, right? Make a lifestyle of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. This is what God is calling to, calling us to. Now, in his mercy, if we've missed it and we're not doing it, he's still going to carry us. He's still going to lift us up. He's still going to work in our churches. But he said to them, it makes you a hypocrite because you don't practice justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. Practice the latter. I'm going to emphasize that. Practice the latter. Like, get it right. And on the other side of grace, as our black brothers and sisters, right, people in brown skin, we allow for the grace of God to help you practice, right? Prayerfully, you're not practicing on us that it breaks us down year after year, worship practice after worship practice, Sunday after Sunday. But we understand that this needs to be a practice. This needs to be something we get um, acclimated to and amalgamated to, right? Practice the latter without neglecting the former. So practice justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Practice that. Get good at it. Get good at knowing what it is that African Americans are concerned about. Stop coming onto their pages and trashing and contradicting everything that they say, that they feel, and what they're presenting, and, and coming with a counter. Listen, you know, there's one thing that I've said, and I really believe this is the truth of God on the matter. There was a gentleman, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Tim Wise who kind of lifted this idea up. He's an internationally known speaker, uh, an anti-racist activist. And he said, you know, 80% of slave owners said that there was no problem with slavery. The slaves were lazy and there was nothing to see here. They're just trying to cause problems. While slaves, enslaved Africans, enslaved people, people that were enslaved were moving and speaking and buying their freedom and going in the underground railroad to, to take people out of slavery because it was unjust, it was, it was unmerciful, and, and, and it was, it was uh, a horror, right? But 80% of slave owners, white slave owners, white plantation owners said, no problem here. Fast forward to Jim Crow after slavery is annihilated. 80% of those that enacted the Jim Crow laws after people are now no longer, it's no longer lawful to enslave them as chattel and it's no longer lawful to keep them as property, right? It said 80%. You can look at the, the statistics and the reports from that historic time. 80% of those enacting the Jim Crow laws that told people that they couldn't have land and that they couldn't buy and sell and that they were three-fifths human, Come on, my brothers and my sisters, my pastors and my leaders, hear me on this. 80% said, no problem here. Just a bunch of uppity Negroes, uppity colored people that won't stay in their place. And we've got scientific evidence that they don't even deserve to be equal to us. And they use the word of God. They use the word of God to say, slaves, obey your masters, and then close the book. Not looking at the scripture where it says it is for freedom that Christ has come to set us free, that there's neither Greek nor Jew, uh, bond nor free, Scythian or barbarian, that all that is done away with in Christ and that he's all in all. Not looking at all of the examples throughout Genesis of Revelation, never opening those pages where blacks and Ethiopians and Egyptians and dark-skinned people are called beautiful, that they're identified, that they are shown as intelligent and anointed. No, those pages were never read. No problem here, 80% of people. Fast forward to the civil rights movement. Dr. King is assassinated. We love to quote him now, 
black and white alike, Latino and otherwise, but he was assassinated for what he was saying. And by and large, 80% of people said he needs to calm down. The status quo is okay. Look at how far the come. Look how far the colors and the Negroes have come, right? 80% of people said, no problem here. 80% of our white brothers and sisters. And mind you, that while we live in a secular system now, many of our systems and thoughts and our leaders of the time were card-carrying KKK members that attended church. This is why we have this stronghold in the church because the American system has been seeded with this principality at work to diminish and demolish and dissolve the work of the church that God originally designed it to have. In Revelation 7, the Bible shows us that there is a multitude of uh, that no man can number. John saw of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every kindred, crying holy as the lamb, worshiping around the throne. That's God's divine design. So for us to say we don't see color, that is absolutely against the divine, eternal plan of God. Because when we get to eternity, we're going to be there of every nation. He wants to see us there. He's gathering us there. And it's not as a you know, a homogenous group that we can't recognize. John said, I saw this number. No man could number, but I saw the nation. I saw the kindreds. I saw the tribes. I saw the <laughs> same thing happens in Acts chapter two. Over 3,000 people are added to the church. The day that the church is born supernaturally, right? We call that the day of Pentecost. Penta, meaning 50. 50 days after the resurrection, Jesus said, wait, Wait for the power of the Holy Ghost to come upon you because now you're going to, you're going to be the foundation of my church, but I want you to receive power from on high that you would have power to be a witness. When the Holy Ghost falls, comes in like a mighty rushing wind, the Bible shows us that what happened, every nation, every tongue, right? The tongue of the men who were praying and the women that were gathered there, that 120 in the upper room. Hear me, church. Believers, the first work of the Holy Ghost for the early church in dismantling, dismantling racism in the church is to annihilate the division in our language and our nation to the part of the anointing is the ability to be cross-cultural, to be multicultural. And as soon as Peter speaks, he's anointed with the Holy Ghost. He speaks by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says 3000 were added in one day. Now we know from the scripture because it describes who was there that that automatically anointed the church to be multicultural. That is one of the first ways to dismantle racism in the church and move that principality of hatred out. Listen, that, princip that principality, we see Jesus just spoke to the religious. He says it attaches to your mint, your cumin, all of the sacrifices and things that you do. But the way to dismantle it is to get the Holy Ghost. It is not enough to say we're saved, we love the Lord, we have accepted Christ, right? We need the gift of the Holy Spirit to, to work on our spirit, right? We need the Holy Spirit to work on our spirit to exemplify who he wanted us to be in the kingdom. He said the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus was constantly talking about the kingdom of heaven so that we would understand this kingdom here, this kingdom system of governments, this kingdom system of entertainment, this these kingdom systems of education, this kingdom system of media, they're all going to rest on the shoulders of Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but I won't leave you comfortless. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And it is he who will remind you of my words. And the first work that the Holy Spirit does is he causes the church to be a multicultural representation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Ghost of God's eternal and divine plan. 
So we see his divine plan in Revelation, and this is why we pray. And when we pray, why do we stop the prayer at God fix my finances? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, inside of these earthly vessels, right? Inside of us, as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven, Revelation 7 shows us God's eternal plan and his eternal purpose is to have a multicultural representation of his kingdom. He wants to see his kingdom in every culture, every nation. And again, not as, uh, you know, a hodgepodge, but a collective that is clearly defined. Nation, tongues, tribes, kindred. So you can see this throughout the scripture. So that is one of the first things that we do is we recognize that the gift of the Holy Spirit is what enables us. If we can, first of all, recognize that it is our job, that it is our place, that it is our call as part of the gospel to, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit to have us represent the eternal here on earth. And part of that is multiculturalism. Part of that is every nation, right? That we won't be so afraid to stand up and talk and speak up and, and address these things when we see it. And we're, we wouldn't even allow our church to be, you know, represented in leadership with all one monocultural group, right? Now, here's one of the things that we see throughout history. Because the church did not fight for this, and because the church did not stand on this, what happened is that every day, if you look at the history of every denomination, every group came um, into existence and then pushed African Americans out. The Southern Baptist Convention, the Church of God, then breaking off in the Church of God of Christ, and that division there. Every time you see um, God doing a move and, and having his way and bringing people together, mankind, own tradition, makes the word of God of none effect. God's moving by his Holy Spirit, right? And pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. What did the Bible say? In Joel, it says that in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And the whole earth is going to see it, right? So God begins to move just like he did in Acts 2. And just like in Acts, Peter, we see he's, you know, really lifted up as the, the prime example. Even after he's the one who preaches and the church is, 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 you know, empowered through his ministry. Then we see him several chapters later, not only treating people of different culture and different class separate, but the Bible says that he would join himself together with the Greeks. And then when the renowned people of, of the Jewish culture would come, he would withdraw from them. So much so that the rest were drawn away with his example. This is something I want to highlight for us to understand. That as leaders, as leaders here in the Lehigh Valley, just because there's a group of people that are saying that black lives don't matter, that we're not going to talk about that, we're not going to address it, don't think that it's not what God wants. A lot of times we give the deference that we are supposed to to our leaders because we know they're supposed to do what God wants them to do, right? They're supposed to be the example. But the next thing that really impacts us is that when there's just like a whole group of people that are just like, no way, right? You're a whole entire organization. And I'm not going to name any names today. We do do that because that is what God does. He does call numbers. He does call names. But I'm talking about generally so that we can understand how this thing works, this principality works, by grouping people together and gathering them together and getting them to misrepresent the kingdom. 
A principality, when it operates in a region, by simply understanding the name prince, principality, it has authority. It has the authority to speak. It has the authority to delegate the same way you would understand a prince. The Bible says that um, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He has certain authority. He can cause things to be said, thought. He can promote ideas that are against God, right? That are against Christ and that are against the church and against what God desires in the best for mankind to reach his best potential and its greatest destiny individually and collectively, right? And he can speak against the church, right? Remember that Jesus came to John in the Isle of Patmos and he says to the church of the region of Laodicea, to the church of Philadelphia, to the church of, right? So let's understand this principle that there is a Lehigh Valley church that God is looking at, right? There's a regional church in New Jersey or, you know, whatever that region is. A lot of times these regions are recognized in secular systems. And again, secular, not bad, but secular as other than biblical or theological. In secular systems, you have the census, you have the government, you have the community organizations, right? And they delineate that we're the Lehigh Valley area, that there's Allentown, Bethlehem, and Easton, that there's a county, right? So there's their different divisions. But the principalities operate over those different divisions and they say, we're not moving. That's why the Lehigh Valley has a particular brand of racism and a particular brand of racism in the church that's very friendly, it's very smile in your face, it's very let's have ice cream together, but I actually am a part of a group that is a white supremacist and I'm part of a group that is not going to let you in and I'm part of a dining uh, you know, hall that won't allow African Americans or people of color to eat, or I'm a part of a church that thinks it's funny that our kids call each other the N word, right? But we worship together. Hmm. The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is against that. That you would sit and have someone on your left and on your right in the pulpit that God created with a hue of melanin so beautiful and so deep. But you allow your children to make jokes and you laugh at cookouts and you think it's funny to hear racist jokes and to hear the sound of the N-word coming out of somebody's mouth and you don't say anything, you laugh, you tell the jokes yourself, you think it's funny and you don't correct your children so that the first place that I, as a woman of color, as a young girl of faith, heard the N-word, was in a youth group at a church in this Lehigh Valley. And the parents didn't want to deal with it because it was okay. You will vote for a man who calls the nation and the place that we come from, the places that we originate from as brown and black people and people of black African heritage, as whole countries. You will promote Vote for, get behind. And I'm not telling you that this is not something that you have to change your vote for. But when you lift up your voice in support of these things and these people, the same way that you want Democrats in a secular system who are Christian, those who are Christian and voting Democrat, to say, well, what about these issues that the Democrats support? But you remain silent about the very things that God said go hand in hand, loving kindness, mercy, and justice. He says, you ought to have made this your practice, your practice in your voting, your practice in your life, your practice in your home. You ought to put this in prayer. You ought to put this as a part of your budget. Come on, church, right? These are things we ought to have as a part of our regular conversation, dismantling racism in the church and not leave the other undone.
you are going to have your church open. You are going to make sure that the food bank and all of these other things continue. You'll tie the meat, the cumin, and the spices, right? You'll make sure that God gets his 10% so we can cross that I and dot that T and say, okay, we did it. But what did Jesus say? He said, there are going to be those who are workers, practices, not of righteousness, but of iniquity. Depart from me for I never knew you. Why? Because you didn't practice justice. You didn't practice mercy. You didn't practice seeing about the oppressed. You didn't practice hearing the cries of your brothers and sisters. By and large here in America and here in the Lehigh Valley, brothers and sisters, those disenfranchised people that are neglected and without hope and without help are black and brown people. They are African-Americans. They're your African-American brothers and sisters. And I'm not talking about just the people who sit in your pews and, and maybe, you know, you share the pulpit with on, on some special Sundays, right? I'm talking about African-American as a people, right? And when we understand that within the last several years, it's only recently that people have become unchurched, most of the people enacting the laws and putting in place the policies that are disenfranchising their brothers and sisters are literally brothers and sisters of faith. But somehow your politics blinds you and I mean, whatever your politics are, left or right or up or down, whatever your politics are, it should not blind you to the truth of God. Amen. So the Bible shows us throughout the scripture that justice and mercy and righteousness, they go hand in hand. I wish I could read you all of the scriptures, but let me tell you, open up your iPad, your iPhone or your iWhatever and go ahead and pull up justice. And you'll see that it's always coupled with righteousness. It's always coupled with the idea that it is directly from God, right? And when it's missing, it grieves the heart of God. It grieves his heart. As a matter of fact, in several places, he calls it an abomination to ignore, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. The Bible says in Psalm 9-7, the Lord is enthroned, hallelujah, forever. He has established his throne for justice. Amen? Now, this justice that we're talking about throughout the scriptures is not just about being nice and being right and dividing things up equally, but it often it's encompassing and specifically has to do with ethnic groups. Listen, Proverbs 18.5, it is not good to be partial to the wicked. And come on now, God makes the distinction. Or to deprive the innocent of justice. Isn't that the cry of so many African Americans regarding our justice system? Isaiah 1.27, Zion will be redeemed with justice. God is going to buy back his people so that every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue is represented. Why? Her repentant ones will be bought back with righteousness. We are not sorry that we don't have African-American leadership in our church. We're not sorry that we don't worship together. We're not repentant, but God is looking to draw us back and draw together a remnant that will have our hearts mourn over the fact that we here on earth do not look like his kingdom, that we are just a hashtag, that we're just a movement, not a movement, right? That we're just here to say something while it's popular. And then we'll go back to business as usual, that we'll challenge and disagree and never hear our African-American brothers and sisters, and we'll be content that life continues with them and the system, systemic racism um, is here in the Lehigh Valley, right? We're, we're not engaging. We're not actually trying to be like God. And he said, Zion will be redeemed. Zion, I'm going to draw my people with justice. That's what we saw happen in Acts chapter 2. God said, I'm, I mean, they were being persecuted, remember? That's why they were all huddled together. 
but they had a word from the Lord. They had a word from Jesus that said, wait, wait until the power of the Holy Ghost comes and you'll have powers, what, to be my witness. Today, the church, to look more like Jesus and to get done what Jesus wants us to do has to address dismantling, dismantling, I don't know why that word is uh, tricky for me today, dismantling, tearing down, <laughs> I'm just saying tearing down racism in the church. That is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. And he does it in such a way that he comes, fills us, and there's just a flow. When we do this in the work of the Holy Spirit and in empowerment and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, there's a flow. As I was telling someone, you know, even with the classes, and I'll be sure to share the message, uh, you know, for you to be able to come into our classes. The 12th, the 19th, and the 26th, I'm going to offer the same course that we just finished of Amazing Grace. And it is going to show us in three weeks how to dismantle and tear down racism, particularly in the church. The last series had to do more with the secular systems of um, justice, the law, um, the justice system, systemic racism in education, and in the nonprofit industrial complex. This next series, three-week series, every Sunday at 6 o'clock, we're going to come together on Zoom. You can register for it, and I'll be sure to put the link in the comments because now we're going to look at dismantling and tearing down racism in the church. And I want to encourage you to get the tools that you need to be able to have these scriptures under your belt, fresh in your mind, and just have a reassurance. You know, I think sometimes some of us, once we know that it is what God really wants, we want to do it because our heart wants to do it, but we just don't want to be about a fad. And then maybe we see that everything with these secular systems and secular voices of Black Lives Matter and these other agencies aren't completely committed to Christ. And because we are committed to Christ, we can't find that marrying point, that partner partnering point. We really, as the church, should be the voice that's crying aloud and that is calling out to God in these regards. Amos 5.15, hate evil, love good. And God makes that, dis that distinction. It's not about, oh, I didn't know, I didn't feel like it, I'm just not into that. You know, he said, no, this is evil and this is good. Establish justice in the gate. Here's where we're going to have another principle uh, from the word of God regarding this principality. Perhaps the Lord of God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. You remember the remnant of Joseph as the children of Israel, because remember, Joseph was favored and he caused through the wisdom of God, Egypt not to perish. Now, how in the world that thing got turned around until the children uh, and descendants of Joseph as the children of Israel, the children of Egypt, uh, that were in Egypt, were now subjugated under Egypt. They said a new Pharaoh rose up who didn't even think about Joseph. He didn't even consider their relationship or anything that he did good for them or how the wisdom of God saved Egypt from dearth, famine, and death, right? So a new Pharaoh rises up and they put the children of Israel under sore bondage until their sigh and the sigh of their oppression made God look down and come to see about his people. Listen, I'm this one reason I'm encouraged now. Even if the church does not hear the cry of the oppressed, God is going to hear our cry, but he is calling the church. We see this clearly from the word of God, that he has called the church to be the voice, to be the answer, and to be the ones that tear down this principality of racism. But listen to this. It says, hate evil and love good. Hi, Makita. Hi, Reverend Knoxley. God bless you. I see someone else in the picture there. I can see your little circle. I wish I could see the comments. I'm just not sure how to set it up, but I'll, I'll answer you back. And I promise to put the link in for the um, upcoming course if you'd like to be a part of it. And I'll make that a Facebook event page. The 12th, 
the 19th and the 26th. We'll be together six o'clock on Sundays. You can register. It's $50 per class or you can register for the entire class and be committed to that Sunday. And I promise to put the information in there for you for tearing down racism in the church. It'll give you these scriptures, these tools, and then it'll give you particular um, pieces of advocacy that not only I've used, but that our family has taught to churches in other regions. Uh, we were able to serve as artists in residence in uh, Maine in Colby College and able to bring some of these um, biblical truths to the secular college uh, environment with the students there in a way that was tangibly, you know, that you could tangibly actually take a hold of and grab. And I'm excited to make that available, especially for us here in the church. But I'll give you that and I promise to put that in the link. Amos 5.15, here's a scriptural principle and I'll close out with this. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. Whenever you see gates in the scripture, it talks about um, the authority and the place of authority. Remember in Proverbs 31, it says that her husband, the, the virtuous woman's husband is known in the gates. You see that throughout scripture, Abraham, if he wanted to make a trade or a transaction as he um, followed God's leading throughout the lands that he was being given, he would sit in the gate and that's where they would make the agreement for plots of land. So it's always a place of authority. The, the, the call is to bring um, justice to those places of authority. That is our government system where we see the judicial and the magistrates making decision. This is why Jesus gave that example of the unjust judge. It was a gate. It was a gate place. It was a place of authority. He says this judge is unjust and he won't regard God or man, but because of the constant coming, also known as protest. So for those of you in the church who feel that protest is unnecessary or ungodly, Please read the word. Please look again. I gave the example in the other live that we shared that God sent Moses and Aaron and all of the elders of the children of Israel to get in front of Pharaoh. It was not a nice conference call. Please come. Let's sit down and talk about it and see how the children of Israel can get free. They busted up on in there under the anointing and under the direction of God and said, let my people go. Also known as protest, right? Now, the scripture shows us that the gate and that place where our voice is to be heard is the places where decisions are made. The place where justice is supposed to be present as far as that remnant that God is calling to do justice and love mercy, like he said to the Pharisees. Don't be hypocrites. You're the decision people. You're the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers within our church is the, the uh, apostles, right? The prophets, the apostles, the pastors and teachers, what we generally hear people call as the fivefold ministry. The evangelists, they're the ones who stand at the gate between the people, right? Between the pastor, the people and salvation. And they bring uh, people in as, you know, as a special guest to come and, and, and bring the one, be the ones that bring in the souls or, or that do crusades of healing, right? So you can clearly see the authority places in the church. It's in those places that justice is to be established. God wants us to have these particular levels of influence covered in justice. He wants us to represent him. Another place where we see a scriptural gate is the gate of worship. At the gate of worship and at the gate of praise. When we have all of the black sound of African-American voices in church and don't have any heart for black people, something's wrong. Justice is missing. When you have a gate, that gate of authority of the pastoral level, your pastors are strutting across the pulpit with the black vernacular and black style, talking about come on and a hoop and a holler, but they haven't said anything about Black Lives Matter. 
there's no justice. There's no justice at the gate. We haven't opened up our voice. We haven't opened up our heart, right? But we're taking from culture, right? And then the secular system has to call out appropriation. People borrowing hairstyles. Um, people coming into interracial relationships and marriages without an understanding of another culture, right? And then we wonder why there's so much pain. And then we want to block our ears to the pain and the response of rioting and pain and all of these things, right? Please understand that this is not going to be popular. This is not something that's going to necessarily be comfortable, but it is going to be righteous. It is going to be godly. When we as the remnant bring justice to the gate, I'm sure as you're thinking and hearing these scriptures, you can think of so many other places of authority. Um, youth leaders, there's another place of authority where you stand between the pastor or represent, representation of the church to the next generation. It's a gate position. There needs to be justice there. Our youth needs to understand and know that God has anointed them, especially as young people, to tear down that principality of racism. And the principality, again, if you're understanding the, just the makeup of the word, it is an authority that sets up to destroy the transactions in the gate, that looks to manipulate in the gate, in those places of authority, to keep us by any means necessary from enacting the things that God would have us to do. And I cannot stress enough how we see throughout the scriptures that it is the cry of the oppressed that God hears. We are so constantly used to um, giving our ideas and our thoughts and our opinions it, it, it bears out in American history, especially, that the African-American community will be active, will be crying out. They'll, they'll, they'll bring their pain, not only to God, but to the gate. And they'll cry for justice. And, and they'll cry for systemic racism to be broken down. And they'll cry for slavery to be eradicated. They'll cry for Jim Crow laws to be demolished. And then they'll cry for a seat on a bus and they'll cry for a, for over a year. People would rather walk on foot and, and carpool if they could or, or, or not go a distance if, or go on their own on foot if they had to for the, you know, the bus boycotts. Their cry lasted so long until the gate brought justice, until that place of authority broke and brought justice and justice as Dr. the Reverend Dr. King cried from that scripture in Amos. Let justice roll down like a mighty stream, right? Until justice flooded the gate, their cry had to be heard. But it was not until generally afterwards that that 80% of the white population could even hear. And understand this, that at that time, Throughout our history until recently, we were known as a Christian nation. So these are people that go to church that said, you know what? We don't even know why they're making so much noise. It was in a Christian nation that the Reverend Dr. King, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. What do we have to say as the church? 50 years later, we mourn him. 50 years later, you're going to mourn the people that are crying for justice today? God forbid, let us join our voices together now. Let us dismantle this principality of racism in the church, understanding that principalities operate in places of judicial decision and key positions. That is also within the church, key positions being prophets, apostles, pastors and teachers, evangelists, the workers of ministry. We should be looking and 
gathering together people who have a heart for God and a heart for justice, loving kindness and mercy. Because Jesus said himself, you are making yourself a hypocrite if you do all of the things that are religious practices and leave justice and loving kindness and mercy undone and unpracticed. That's what makes the church hypocritical. According to Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth said it himself to the religious leaders of his day. And I'm sharing it with you today as the leaders of our day. Then the scripture says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. This is not an everybody get along. This is the ones who are doing the wickedness. Those who are hypocritical, humble yourselves. Hypocritical, humble yourselves, pray seek his face turn from your wicked ways what are the wicked ways he identifies it's wicked to not hear the cry it's wicked to oppose it is wicked to oppress it is wicked to have these things represented in the church where jesus is to be the light and then we are to be the light of the world turn from our wicked ways then then we have that promise that he will hear from heaven he'll forgive our sin it is sin and it is separating us from god we see in Acts chapter 2 that the church, that multicultural church, anointed, powerful, anointed with the Holy Ghost church, right, was able to, to withstand all of the persecution and everything that they faced and to be powerful representation of Jesus because of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. So I promise to include the dismantling racism in the church course information for you but this is a free preview that i just want to share and engage with my brothers and sisters on so that we can look at the gates we can look at the places of authority the prophets the apostles the pastors and teachers the evangelists the workers of miracles those gate positions in the church should be saturated with justice they should be voices of justice and when our prophets and our apostles and our pastors and teachers begin to use their voice the way god wants us to we will see the principality of racism in those secular systems in those secular positions and those secular gates dismantled broken and cast out I pray this word has encouraged you to carry on. I wish I could see your comments. I'm going to take a moment after I sign off now to reply back to you. Feel free to inbox me as well. My number 484-619-3896. It's on most any page or advertisement that I have that you might be able to pull up. 484-619-3896. Of course, you can always email me at carrieholmes at gmail.com. Again, carrieholmes at gmail.com. And I welcome your replies, your thoughts. And please let me encourage you to dismantle, to do your part as a gatekeeper, to dismantle racism in the church, to exemplify Jesus Christ, and to make the reality of us being one. That was Jesus' last prayer here on earth before going to the cross, a reality. We are the ones he's called to do it. And we are the ones that he wants to shine through. May the light of God shine bright on you today. God bless you. I love you. I pray that you're encouraged to know that you can carry on. Okay, we're still together. I'm trying to click off. Look, uh, look in the comments for the.